What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hey, this is Kevin Kelly, and you are listening to the Stardom Cast. And welcome to the Stardom Cast, your weekly audio source of all things world wondering stardom. I am your host, Rob Good, and I am joined for the second time in a week by Matt Turner. Matt, what a pleasure to hear your voice twice in a week. It's awesome, my friend. It's awesome. And I'm, as usual, I'm having a fantastic day. Uh, I was watching a little bit of the Crown Jewel show from earlier today, and Io Shirai wrestled in the colors of blue and gold which you may or may not know is also my color. So that got a thumbs up for me. And not only was that really cool, buddy, what was even cooler was, was last night on AWTV, a buddy of mine by Broken the Business with wrestled and defeated Kachahori Shibata with Mike Tyson on commentary. So folks, when I tell you to go out and live your dreams, anything is possible. Truly, if you bust your ass and don't take no for an answer, you truly can uh, pretty much do anything that you want. But I thought that was really, really cool that my buddy Orange Cassidy uh, beat Shibata with Mike Tyson, Iron Mike Tyson on commentary. I just that To me, that just blew my mind. It does sound like something you would write in an e-fed, doesn't it, really? Orange Cassidy defeated Katsuyori Shibata and Mike Tyson on commentary. It's almost one of those things where you look at it and go, well, that didn't happen, did it? But, you know, just to see Shibata back in a ring is incredible i'll never forget that moment that he came back um in the middle of the final it was the g1 final it was and uh, he came back and just the entire arena it's still to this day one of the most emotional wrestling moments i can remember um i recently rewatched actually the sakura genesis match between him and uh, kazuchika okada and it's one of the greatest wrestling matches i've ever seen and it's such a it's so sad that it'll only well just most people it'll be remembered as the match where shibata injured himself and it it almost killed him but it's a fantastic match and also i did not know you knew orange cassidy oh yeah oh geez i thought we've had this i know me and you between text conversations and and just talking beforehand i thought that i i went over this with you but i'll kind of just give a brief history we actually he lives he grew up in New Jersey, maybe about an hour or so away from where I grew up. Somehow, some way, we got involved in doing backyard wrestling with his buddies and my buddies. And then a buddy of ours um, built a ring, and we started wrestling in warehouses. It was kind of like underground wrestling because none of us were trained. There's probably maybe about 15 or 16 of us. 
and we'd wrestle once a month in this warehouse in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania, which I probably a parking lot now. And uh, we would draw nowhere to lie about 300 people to these shows. And not one of us was professionally trained. There was a local indie down the road, maybe about 15, 20 minutes. They were drawing maybe 50 people to their show. Well, eventually they caught wind of this. They called the state athletic commission. If anybody knows how horrible and how harsh the state athletic commission is, they pretty much shut us down. Right. I think we got away with it for like a year, year and a half. But yeah. I mean, I did a whole bunch of, uh, you know, the underground and the backyard wrestling shows with them and rightfully so. So the state should have looking back on it 20 some odd years later, the state absolutely should have shut us down. The ring wasn't really a real ring. Uh, none of us were professionally trained. So yeah, that makes sense. But once, uh, you know, a handful of us did get professionally trained. I remember I was on an indie show with him. He just uh, turned his name into Orange Cassidy because Orange Cassidy wasn't his first name in the uh, independence. And I, he would, he just turned Orange Cassidy and I was wrestling in a tag match with uh, him and Chuck Taylor versus me and my my uh, one buddy, Mike. And he started explaining to me what he wanted the Orange Cassidy gimmick to be and the character to be. And it's what you see now on TV. And I remember telling him, hey, man, that's awesome. Go for it. But in the back of my head, Rob, I was like, that's dumb. No way. Is this gonna, <laughs> no way. It's going to get over. And I'm like, I know how good of a wrestler he is. And you see how good of a wrestler he is. And I'm like, he should just go out there and do everything that everybody else is doing. I'm like no way is this ever going to get over. I'm like, yeah, man. All right. Hey, good luck. And you know, here it is. He's wrestling Shibata and he's a world champion. He defeated Pac. And you know, two weeks ago, I wrestled in front of 60 people. So, uh, you know, <laughs> what do I know? <laughs> what do I know? So that, again, folks, that just goes to show you just go out there and be yourself. Think outside the box. Cause you, you never know what'll, what'll stick and hit. And he, he, you know, he kept that, that orange Cassidy gimmick, you know, seven, eight years before he really, really, you know, started making really big waves. So, yeah, I've known uh, Orange. Got to be over twenty years. Oh, wow. I mean, I'll be honest. His match with Will Ospreay at Forbidden Door is is one of my favorite matches of the year so far. And uh, I, I, when I first saw Orange, I don't know how we're on AEW when it's uh, when it's a starting podcast. <laughs> so, but hey, sorry, folks. <laughs> yeah, you're you're getting two this week, and if you're on the Patreon, you're going to get another one tomorrow. This, this drops what on this this what drops what on Sunday, Rob? It does. Yes. Yeah, and then tomorrow morning you're getting a watch along of Mayu versus Kari, so bear with us. So go ahead, Ralph. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, getting three for the price of one, guys. Um, yeah, his match with Will Ospreay was one of my matches of the year, and I remember someone told me about him when he first came into AEW because I'm, I have very little knowledge of the of the US Indies or Indies in general, and uh, I was like, that gimmick sounds awful and it is one of those gimmicks where if you try and explain orange cassidy's gimmick to anyone that doesn't understand wrestling or anyone who does understand wrestling but has never seen him it's a case of that sounds ridiculous and then you watch it and you're like he's so over with the crowd and he is such a good wrestler like it, it's unbelievable how good he is and i'm so glad that uh he managed to have a match with uh shibata and i'm so glad that Shabazz in a ring again, like I mentioned before. Hopefully we'll see more matches with him, but just the fact that he's uh, in a ring again makes me very, very happy. Um, however, we're going to start with a hard-hitting question, Matt, and I hope you're ready for this. Um, yeah. On our last episode, we've had a couple of comments on the Patreon. One stuck out to me from uh, Steve Kaklamanos. So, now, question time, he says. Has Rob and or Matt tried the Iron Maiden Trooper beer. I have an empty bottle of it on my shelf because obviously the artwork is always so cool and the Trooper is my favourite Maiden song. There's also Aces High. But I absolutely hated the beer. 
I was horrified. I got some for my friend's birthday and had one myself, and he was like, you don't like it, do you? No, no, I did not. Perhaps someday you guys will come out with a better beer and call it the Stardom Craft. So, uh, my first question to you, Matt, have you ever tried the Iron Man Trooper beer? First of all, the Trooper is my favorite Iron Maiden, Maiden song, and yes, absolutely. The last time I saw Iron Maiden play, uh, 2019, I actually got a case. for uh, It was me, my dad, and my, my best friend, Jeff. We uh, we went to um, uh, was it Philadelphia to see Iron Maiden. I got a case, and and I actually enjoyed the Iron Maiden beer. And um, now here's something else too, sir: is the Stardom Craft beer that might be a possibility because uh, one of my best friends, <laughs> one of my best friends, one of my best friends owns a brewery, so that might be something that we might be able. <laughs> He wants to, he literally comes out with a new beer every six weeks. That's like his thing. He comes out with a new beer every six weeks. So this might be, uh, I might be tasked with something new here, folks. <laughs> that, that's outstanding. I mean, I messaged him back saying, oh my God, this is a great idea. Just because of the <laughs> pun of the name, the Stardom Craft. Um, but, oh, that's incredible. I've also tried the Trooper Beer. Um, one of the pubs not far away from where I live at the moment. Um, had it on tap for a long, long time. And... It's okay. I, I am a beer drinker, um, but it, it wasn't one that hit home particularly well. I'll have it if there's nothing else on draft. It's not like I've got anything against it, but it's it's okay. The Trooper, however, not my favorite Iron Maiden song. It is a banging song, and it's obviously iconic, but it's not my favorite, Matt. I guess. Go for it. Run to the Hills. It's not Run to the Hills, though, again, absolute classic in the first uh, song right, I heard from one, Maiden. One, what, one more, sir. Fear of the Dark. Correct. Oh, that's my favorite live Maiden song because oh. it's like it's like a fifteen. They go into it's like a fifteen minute song, and it's just you just feel like this is just awesome. You feel like you're levitating when they do that live. Oh, it's incredible! Just that, just that intro, and then when the crowd sing a lot. Oh, what a song and what an atmosphere! Um, so there you go, guys. We've talked about AW and Iron Maiden, <laughs> and not mentioned Stardom once. So <laughs> no, we did. We're, we might be coming out with our own beer now. Oh. We might be coming out with our own beer. Absolutely, we have to work on, buddy. I I'm mean, working on this. I'm I'm not even joking. I'm definitely pitching this to to my buddies Puck and Norm over at a uh, shout out to Funk Brewing Company over there in Emmaus, uh, Pennsylvania. Because I'm definitely I'm definitely going to pitch this to them. <laughs> Right, so basically, if you want to see the Stardom Craft on shelves, make sure you contact us on Twitter, put it in the comments, talk about how much you want the Stardom Craft to uh, to talk. Maybe we'll manifest it by talking about it. Um, but we're here. If to... you don't ask, the answers always know, Rob. If you don't ask, the answers always know. Absolutely, so <laughs> absolutely. Um, what are we doing today? What are we covering today? We're we watching. Stardom? Honestly, What's mate, going on? I haven't got a clue. I haven't got a clue what we're doing today, sorry, man. Sorry, folks. <laughs> we love you. We really do. Um, it is going to be a busy couple of weeks, to be perfectly honest. Just speaking of, um, obviously, us talking utter nonsense. Um, but obviously, we're in the midst of Stardom Tag League. As you are listening to this, it'll be the sixth of November, or it will have dropped on the sixth of November. But over the next couple of weeks, obviously, we've got Gold Rush, which is the next pay-per-view installment that's going to be dropping on the 19th of November. And then obviously the following day, we have got the historic crossover show on the 20th. So we are going to be doing, you know, all in the midst of having Days of the Goddess of Stardom Tag League happening as well. So there are going to be probably 
a few weeks where you get two episodes with us, um, especially, obviously, when we get to Stardom in Showcase as well. Um, hopefully, for your listening sake, um, we'll be able to uh, get some sort of schedule in place, but uh, we'll let you know a little close to the time. We already know that we're recording the historic crossover show on the 26th, so it'll probably come out on the 27th, Matt. I think that's what we discussed, wasn't it? Whatever you want to do. I'm game. <laughs> yeah, why not? Sure. <laughs> um, but we are here today to talk about the pay-per-view that happened on Thursday, the 3rd of November, the Hiroshima Goddess Festival. Kinsight stardom uh, from the Hiroshima Sun Plaza in Hiroshima in front of 1,045 people it's the first time stardom have run the venue um whenever they've run the hiroshima prefecture before they've always run the prefectural industry hall um but as a marker for how sort of how that attendance fares new japan have run the venue twice this year and have hit just over 1500 people so a bit shy of that but again it's a first time for stardom and we're over a thousand people again so that's got to be a good thing Talking about the overall card then from top to bottom, Matt, before we delve into each match individually and talk about it, what did you think? What was your overall thought on this show? I absolutely loved it. And the fact they drew over a thousand people on a Thursday, which again, is kind of me and you were scratching our heads like really pay-per-view on a Thursday. Okay. But uh, from top to bottom, I thought this was another A show. If you were to ask me, uh, this is probably the middle of the road for stardom but probably better than 90% of the other pay-per-views that I watch between New Japan, um, AEW, and uh, WWE, just because of just how good the content has been from stardom. But this was a solid, solid A show. I thought every match either uh, over-delivered or delivered right where it needed to. And then, and then of course, by the time the, end, the show is over with, we have our main event and our co-main event for the next show, which is in two weeks. So it was like hey, here was this really, really good show. Oh, by the way, don't breathe, because in two weeks, here's the main event, here's the co-main event, and then in a month's time, we're giving you our, like, you know, WrestleMania-level show. So stardom is just nonstop. It's just, like, nonstop, no breaks, keep going. It's like, you know, just keep keep giving us more, and that's what they're doing. But this show, to me, just added on to just what has been an absolutely A++-plus phenomenal year from stardom. Absolutely. And something that I didn't realize, actually, when we were talking about a pay-per-view on a Thursday and how strange that was, it's actually a national holiday, which I didn't realize. So that'll be why they ran it on the Thursday. Um, ah, I'm going, go. always dropping in those nuggets. What a guy. <laughs> what a guy, folks. Um, let's start with the pre-show then, um, which is a match that must have changed form about 15 times, because when we first started talking about the show, it was a gauntlet tag. Then it was a three-way tag, and by the time we got to the actual show, the pre-show match was a five-way match um, with Zumi defeating Wakasukiyama, Lady C, Sayurida, and Mayu Amasaki with a European clutch in five minutes and 43 seconds. Um, apparently, this became a five-way the morning of the show um, because Momo Kogo was ill, and obviously, we wish her a speedy recovery. But this was a really fun little match, if I'm perfectly honest. I love the exchanges between Sayurida and the Great Car C match. How dare you? You know, I just literally <laughs> just put you over being a great guy, and you literally just low blow me. <laughs> How dare you, sir? Yeah, that was really good, the chop fest. And again, this just goes to show you 
how stacked some of these pay-per-views are when you have Azumi, the high-speed champion, and one of your best wrestlers in any company on the pre-show. But it was literally, as soon as the bell rang, it was kind of like, okay, everybody pick two or three things out they're going to do. We'll throw a little story in, and then we'll take it home. But it was like, don't blink. This was like literally almost like a, they could have made this like a, a five-way high-speed match. But I thought Miyu Amasaki looked really good. Obviously, Izumi's fantastic. Uh, Waka was really, really good, uh, especially with her, her, her sprint towards the end with Izumi. And I know, you know, I always say in order for you to get title matches, you need to get wins. But I wouldn't be heartbroken if we saw Waka and Azumi for the high speed championship because I thought their little segment was really, really good going to the finish. But yeah, the highlight for me was the uh, exchanges between Saida and one Lady C, not the great Kasi or whatever it is that you call it. <laughs> um, I did enjoy the big spin that uh, Lady C brought out that uh, <laughs> slammed Waka into both Ida and Azumi. Uh, though I'm not entirely sure what. Azumi thought was going to happen when wandering casually towards the move. Um, but I was thinking about this today um, because I often spend my day thinking about stardom. Um, what if Wakasukiyama gets her first singles victory at Dream Queendom? I mean... Against who? Against who? That's a good possibility. I mean, that's a really good possibility because we're building up this story and I think we talked about it last week or even uh, just this past week where it's like, okay, maybe the story's dragging out a little bit too too long and you need to get that big win now. Um, but yeah, who do you think the big win would be against? We thought it was going to be against Mike Sakurai, but I mean, I guess they can go back to that. But I think the bloom is off the roads on that one. Well, they have the chance to heat something up for that December show, obviously. And we're not going to spoil it before we get to... Um get to the actual match but Wacker is going to be in the tag league whether it's for the rest of the tag league or just for a couple of matches that can be used to heat any of you up and I think Wacker by this point everyone is so desperate for Wacker to get that first victory I don't think it really matters who it's against because she's going to get it with one of her roll-ups isn't she let's let's be perfectly honest she's going to get it with a roll-up so it could be anyone i don't think it would matter if it was lady c if it was rena or if it was may sakurai i think may sakurai is still the story there um because there's no one else really that waka has the relationship with outside of cosmic angels so i know who it should be against it just hit on me go on um are you sitting down if you say Kyrie, i swear to god not to play. Huh? Everybody, everybody else is beating up on her. <laughs> it will be the cherry on the beating <laughs> cake that Natsupoy has had this year. <laughs> um, but I do think that, obviously, New York would have been perfect, but as soon as she was put on the pre-show, it just wasn't going to happen. And with it not airing on Stardom World, I think it was would have been a bit of an anti-climax for her to get a first victory there. I think you described it yourself as a WrestleMania-level production for stardom. Why not have Wacker, pardon me, in a singles match, sorry, put her against May Sakurai, in a singles match, build a little bit on their relationship of how they grew together in Cosmic Angels, and then give, like, you know, you don't have to even have to bury May Sakurai. Just have Wacker roll her up. You know, no one looks worse. Hey, you can have May Sakurai be complacent. You know, she's part of Donald Del Mondo now. Have her literally beating the ever-loving Jimmy out of Waka Sukiyama and then have Waka just roll her up. Works perfectly. I don't even know what that means. 
you ever ever live with Jimmy? I'm trying. I'm trying to get into the Queen's English, buddy. But uh, there's sometimes I I'm literally again we're off kilter here. We apologize. I use bloody hell in my language all the time. Ever since I started podcasting with you, I use it all the time now. Now beating the Jimmy. The one time you did say bloke, and I'm like, oh, I know what that means because I heard Sharon Osbourne say bloke. That's the only time I knew what that was. But I don't know what the beating the Jimmy is. So me and Sharon Osbourne are your only sources of Queen's English. That's that's concerning. That's concerning. That's, no, that's a compliment, buddy. I'm a huge Ozzy Osbourne fan, so. <laughs> Uh, I gave this three stars. It was it was solid enough. Um, it was a little bit of a throwaway match, but it was fun in what it did. Uh, three and a quarter. I bumped it up just a little bit again because it was it was just nonstop. So and fun for me. Good good pre show match. Uh, the show proper started with a tag team match with Fukuoka Double Crazy defeating the Oeretai team of Saki Kashima and Ruaka with the Guma roll in six minutes and forty nine seconds. This was a fun little tag team match, Matt, with Fukuoka Double Crazy proving why they are one of the best teams in the business. Their seamless transitions and excellent chemistry were in abundance here. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought it was smart how they put like the heat on Koguma and then Hazuki comes in. And as uh, I always say on the podcast, Hazuki Mania runs wild. And there's a nice little back and forth with Saki and Ruaka getting a little bit of advantage. But it seems like every time we see FWC, even though they won the tournament last year and they're the former two-time tag champs, every time we see them out, they get better and better. And they're constantly improving on their double teaming and their timing and where certain things need to go and when to pop into the crowd and when to work the crowd and when to come in and save each other. But yeah, this was really, really fun. I thought this was really solid. Again, only went a little bit over six minutes, so it didn't wear out its welcome. So um, and I was a big fan of the finish, how Saki and uh, Koguma were going back and forth with their flash falls. Eventually, Koguma gets the Koguma roll. But I had this one uh, three and a quarter stars. This was really, really solid. I had it at three. I thought it was the right choice to have the team that's actually in the tag league to get the victory. Um, Obviously, you want to heat them up as a challenger for one of the blocks. Um, But yeah, solid enough. I thought Ruaka looked good. Um, Again, I think her niche, and we've talked about this before, um, her niche at the moment is as tag team wrestler learning from people she's in the ring with. Um, Obviously, she's in the tag league at the moment as BMI 2000 with Natsu Katora. I think that could be a good thing for her. After this match, we had a video package. Now, obviously, it's a, it was a pay-per-view feed, so the um, Japanese wasn't translated. But Karen Peterson has done a translation on her show review on post-wrestling, so I've taken the translation from there. Um, more dates for the first Triangle Derby tournament were announced in January with the 8th and 9th of January. The 8th is going to be in Nagoya, whilst the 9th is going to be a Tamnakano special, which I imagine Matt is going uh, to take as some sort of holiday. Oh, uh, yes. I think I saw, I didn't know what that was. First of all, thanks, Karen. And hello, we hope that you're well. Um, I did see the TAM thing come up and I was like, what's this? And I never got any clarification on what it is. So I'm so glad that I'm hearing this. Oh, this just made even my day as great as it was. You just made it better, sir. <laughs> well, Karen goes on to say, TAM will be featured in a special stardom show in Anjo City in honor of the city's 70th anniversary. Um, it's going to be called... Apparently, the the Anjo City's 70th anniversary memorial show Triangle Derby won in Anjoy Tams Road. 
So it's actually going to be named Tam's Roadmap. So yes, uh... <laughs> yes, awesome. Who 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 takes my money? Who takes my money? <laughs> I can't wait for the review of that. Um, <laughs> it's going to be held at the Toshio Arena in Anju on the 9th of January. Now. We've also got announcements for the Stardom Awards ceremony, um, which will be at Belsal. Oh, Jesus. Belsal Takadano Baba. Sure. Nailed it. Yes! Nailed it, Mayu. Nailed it, Mayu Iwatani. <laughs> every time. Do you know what? I've got a mental block about that name. I know how to say it, but every time I see it, it's just so many letters. <laughs> um, instead of being held at the start of the year, I think last year it was held on the 3rd of January. But obviously with the Triangle Derby taking place, it's going to be pushed back to the 21st of January, which will see a daytime and a nighttime event. The daytime event will have a actual wrestling card and the evening session will have the awards show and the photo sessions. Again, thank you to Karen for the translation. After that, we had a singles match with Himika defeating Yuna Mizumori with the running powerbomb in seven minutes and 41 seconds. Now, a big question, Matt. How would you rate Mizumori's singing? Not as good as Tam and Natsupoy, but I guess it was okay. You know, <laughs> I mean, I guess it was okay. I think I texted you right um, right after this match, and I was like, this match really over-delivered. This is the match that I was kind of... Because I don't know too much about uh, Yuna Mizumori, and I know a lot of people on Twitter were saying how good, how good a wrestler she is, and you figured... Well, you know, is Himika going to kind of phone it in or because it's kind of like an unknown? But these two really, really went at it. This was a super fun match. So, but I'm going to turn it on you. How was her singing? Um, I feel like the bar of all singing in Japanese wrestling is Tai Chi. And I feel like it wasn't <laughs> quite Tai Chi levels. And as we know, obviously, Tai Chi sings every single word, every single show. And that, you know, anyone that says any different is a liar. Um, but I, I just think it fell short of that. Um, I think it was probably on par with Meltier. Um, but no. <laughs> um, I'll be perfectly honest. I I enjoyed this match. Um, it did make me laugh when Himika was just not impressed to start off with, with the dancing pineapple that stood before her. Um, but it's certainly the best I've seen Mizumori look during my admittedly limited exposure of her. Um, she had a running Alabama slam into the corner, which was something I don't think I've seen before. And she had this twisting splash after propelling herself off the corner pad as well, which looked really cool. Um, also, anyone that's able to pick up Himika with the relative ease that Mizumori picked her up with deserves a lot of props. I thought she did really, really well here. They both threw some really tasty looking lariats as well. Um, but yeah, it surpassed all of my expectations. And that's nothing against Mizumori, but I've seen her in a new blood context where it's been very comedy centric. I believe she had a match with Lady C, I think, on New Blood 2. So it was comedy there. We obviously had Tropical Passion Mask um, in the tag with Nene Takahashi. And they're all my two real exposures to her. And I thought here she was head and shoulders above either of the other performances, Matt. Yeah, I, mean, I guess it makes sense you're going up against, you know, a former tag champ and someone that's had uh, some few title shots this year on pay-per-view. So you figured she was going to bring her best game 
And uh, yeah, very much like you, I'm my exposure to uh, Yuna is very, very uh, limited. And uh, she completely blew blew my expectations away. And Himika was, as always, fantastic here. Yeah, I was a big fan of all the clotheslines, just the hard-hitting, no-nonsense match that this was. And I was a big fan of uh, how they got to the finish. So, again, this was really, really good. It exceeded my expectations. I hope we see more of Yuna in uh, some matches in stardom as to more of the serious matches. I would love to see, you know, her and Momo uh, go at her, her and Mina um, go at it and like a you know really big strike fest but uh yeah thoroughly enjoyed this one i had this at three and a half stars and i think as well himmick is having a really understatedly good year as well like obviously a lot of the praise has gone to sayaka matani for how good her year has been and rightly so but i think i've said this before himmick has had a really really good year whenever she's been put into the main event or whenever she's had the spotlight she hasn't disappointed she's had really 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 good matches and she's really motivated she's hitting really hard that explosive pace she's got is terrifying when she's hitting some of those um lariats and it's something that micah does as well but yeah i thought it was a good match it's probably one i wouldn't go out of my way to see on this card but it was still a good match and like i said before surpassed my expectations i gave it three and a quarter stars we move on then to a singles match billed as the revenge match with Yutami Hayashishta defeating Natsuki Tora with the hijack bomb in 12 minutes and 50 seconds. This was preceded by an excellent video package recapping the history between the two. To my mind, one of the better video packages Stardom's produced. Obviously, on the 4th of July last year, Natsuki Tora had a really bad injury during her match with Yutami Hayashishta in the main event for the World of Stardom Championship. Um, Tora basically said that you need to keep that belt ready for me because I'm going to come for it when I'm ready. Yutami promised her that she would. I'll protect this belt. Um, then, of course, she lost it to Suri. Um, Tora came back and obviously not only was Yutami not red belt champion, but she'd also, you know, she'd seen a become a little bit of a comedy wrestler. You know, you've got the Utami and things like that. And again, thanks to Karen Peterson for this little translation of Tora in the press conference where she said, the Utami I want to fight is the one from back then. She was the strongest in the world. Now she's only a shadow of what she was and messing around. It's a damn shame. And I, again, I thought that video package, Matt, just before this match, added a lovely layer of spice going into it. Yeah, it absolutely added to it. And I knew about uh, the uh, Utami versus uh, Taurus stuff. And one of the main reasons why I knew about it is because I read a book called Living the Dream, <laughs> starting its 10th anniversary in review by Rob Goodwin. And uh, you go into, you you actually go into, as the, the whole book, you go into great detail about that match. And I've said on this podcast and just in general, I don't like watching matches that I know someone's getting hurt in. Obviously, if you're watching live, you don't know. But I don't like, you know, if you hear somebody got hurt in the match, I, I just don't like watching it. And the only reason why I watched the Utami Tora match a few months ago or where Tora gets hurt is because uh, I had to do it for the Patreon for Utami's Red Belt reign. And you did mention in your book that the match was really on pace to be like a really, really another fantastic Utami uh, title defense. And it just obviously got cut short because of the injury. So I knew that going in and then the video package as well uh, just added so much to it, which to me made this match so much better. I thought this match was absolutely tremendous. I liked how in the beginning Utami was going to try to out-wrestle Tora like they did a really, really 
really nice uh, tight lockup, and Utami just kind of wear her down with holds, and eventually Tori just does has enough of her crap, and she just blitzes her with violence to kind of get like the first real advantage of the match. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I I don't know if I've just forgotten what Taurus theme was during a long layoff, or if it's a new theme. But damn, that song slaps, Matt. What a really yeah. cool entrance theme. Yeah, it was, and it, it really goes with it. You just see when she comes down in the ring, she's just no nonsense, like all badass. Where it's like, again, I really saw next next to nothing of Tor when I first started watching Stardom about a year and a half ago. So like to me, like the leaders of Oedo Tai were always like Starlight Kid and Momo Watanabe. But like Tor comes in the ring, and you see like Momo's always laughing, and Starlight Kid's always playing these little pranks or this or that. And you can see where Tor just has this completely different aura about her and why she's the leader of Oedo Tai because she's just completely no nonsense. Yeah, and that and that theme, again, I don't I, I don't know if it's new or not, um, but yeah, that theme just really works uh, so well with her. Yeah, absolutely. And there was loads of little nice little callbacks to their Yokohama match in this one. We had Toro coming out with the Black Rose to counteract, obviously, Utami's Rose, which I thought was a nice little touch. There was a callback to the frog splash through the table that happened in Yokohama. Um, but this time, Toro can't catch can't quite do it and Utami hits her with a brutal looking air raid crash on the apron um and then Utami puts the rose in her mouth sorry just like Tora did back in Yokohama and splashes Tora through a table when was the last time we saw Utami come off the top rope for a splash never mind through a bloody table um uh, obviously we then get some brilliant suplexes um, before Utami hits the hijack bomb for the victory. A really, really, really good match. And obviously, in retrospect, it was needed that Utami be heated up ahead of what happens at the end of the show. I still think the wrong person won. I see your point of view. And me and you were pretty much dead set Tora was winning. Like, locked in, Tora's winning, which is the, uh, the the kiss of death on this podcast. <laughs> me and you do not only agree, but like, yeah, we would put money on this. Tora needs to win. Here's the reason why. But uh, I get, uh, I thought the psychology in the match was really good. Like, anytime Utami would try to build up a little bit of offense in the beginning, Tora would just blitz her and just hit her with bombs, like DVDs after DVD after DVD, which made sense for Utami to kind of pull out the two big bags of tricks at the end with the air raid crash on the apron and then the splash through the table, which we've <laughs> never seen her do that before. But it makes sense. But, yeah, she won. I was kind of like, oh. Well, maybe they're going to go with, because we thought they would do the blow off of the feud at uh, Dream Queendom. Because, like, well, what else does Utami have to do, you know, uh, going into next year? So we thought that's where they were going. But then I was kind of thinking, well, maybe they need to keep Utami strong because maybe they're going to do Momo versus Utami at Dream Queendom, which to me, that's the Queen's Quest Oedo Tai match that is a year in the making. And I still think they're going to do it, but obviously the reason why she won is, you know, what happens after the main event, which we'll talk about. So um, anytime a huge fan of you, Tommy, I'm not heartbroken at all that I got this one wrong. Uh, I thought this match was absolutely fantastic. And Tora just, I think this is like her third or fourth match back and she looked great. Obviously it's her first singles match since that match with you, Tommy. So she, you know, you're, you kind of go into it. Like what's going to happen to my knee? Am I going to be okay? I thought Utami was there for everything. I thought she made her look really, really good. And then Utami with that blitz at the end. Um, I thoroughly, I love this match for the third match on the show, Rob. I, I gave this one four stars. And I thought this was a good way to kind of start getting into the second half of the show. Yeah. And I think that little jibe about, you know, she's a shadow of herself really um, sort of pushed Utami to wrestle a stronger style 
in this match, and I thought it brought out the very best of Utami. I would have loved to have seen this go a little bit longer, but I, I did really enjoy this match. I gave it three and three-quarter stars. Um, I was I was a little bit worried about how Tora would fare in a singles match like this, you know, a revenge match as it was billed. Um, so soon after coming back from a really bad knee injury, she was out for, you know, 16 months or something with a knee injury. So, But I thought she did really, really well here, and she was the perfect foil for Utami. We move on then to match four, which was a six-woman tag team match with the Donna Del Mondo team of Julia Tekla and Mei Sakurai and the God's Eye team of Konami, Amisuri, and Mirai going to a 15-minute time limit draw. And out of this, I've got two things. I cannot wait to see Julia and Konami part two electric boogaloo. And I also would love to see a singles match between Tekla and Konami because I thought the little exchange that they had was absolutely fantastic, man. Are you reading my notes, sir? Literally, like, my third note is Konami versus Tekla, please. And then at the very end, I put... This may set up another challenger for once Julia wins that red belt. Um, Julia could have. She's in the fourth match here on pay-per-view, right? She could have just kind of did so, a few things here or there, gave majority of the match to Teclan Maysack, right? Which she did. I thought I thought was really cool that Julia is currently in a tag team with Tekla. As we know, they're Mafia Bella in uh, the tag league. But when Tekla got hurt, Julia and May Sakurai really, really gelled well as Oh My Julia. So there was like some spots where Tekla got her stuff in, May Sakurai got her stuff in, and then Julia did her tag team stuff with both Tekla and May Sakurai to kind of put the shine on them. But then like her and Konami at the end are just going at it. And again, I didn't think Julia was going to do too, too much. Just again, it's the fourth match on the show. Let's highlight everybody else. You don't need to put the highlight on her. And then her and Konami are like, German suplex, and she eats a German suplex off the top rope on the returning from Konami. I was like, what was that all about? And I thought Konami's look, she looked great. Uh, you know, uh, she looked like she's in phenomenal shape. She was in the Oedo tag year. I thought her hair was really, uh, the way she had her hair with a little bit of uh, purple in it. I thought that was a, a touch upon everything. I thought that was really, really cool. I thought Amisori and Mirai, they looked really, really good as well. Yeah, literally the last note I have on here is when Julia wins that red belt, which we all think she's going to uh, at the end of the year, she literally has set up all the matches that she lost or didn't win at the five-star. So we have Julia versus Mirai, Julia versus Mayu, Julia versus Suzuki, Julia versus Suzu Suzuki, Julia versus Momo Watanabe. And then you can also always run back, you know, do something with her and Natsupoi, her and Starlight Kid. And now we can have a potential Julia versus Konami match. So literally, you have like her first seven or eight challengers for that red belt pretty much set up. And then in the meantime, you can build somebody else up. So I think this Julia run, if everybody stays healthy, fingers crossed, is going to be fantastic. But to uh, to go on this match, I thought this was, this was great. This is another match that completely over-delivered. Um, I had no problem with the time limit draw. I figured they would have beaten May Sakurai. But there's somebody else that they're kind of building up from the bottom and doing a great job with her. But uh, yeah, I had this at three and uh, three, four stars. Loved it. Yeah, it was a really enjoyable six-woman tag. And same with you. Um, the time limit draw didn't particularly bother me. I would have loved to Konami to have gotten the victory in a hometown, but that's a very small nitpick. Um, I thought the added effect of Julia hitting the glorious driver after the bell as well, just to add that extra bit of sort of, I could have beaten you, I just didn't. 
and then chasing her all the way to the back. It seems like they are setting up something. Um, so I'm quietly hopeful that Konami is on the road to return. Obviously, I don't want her to rush into anything, um, but she was in tremendous ring shape. Like, there was no ring rust there at all. And I know she started slowly and sort of worked into it. I know she's had a couple of matches along Golden Week where she wrestled, but I thought she looked really, really, really good here. She came out with the God's Eye hoodie, and she had a proper God's Eye Tron as well entrance video. So it looks like she is, you know, God's eye. Um, I don't know where where that sits with a weather tie, but I'm sure we'll find out. I was exactly the same. Three and three quarter stars. A really, really fun match. Yeah, because that's what this stack stardom roster needs is another phenomenal performer like Konami. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. What they definitely don't have is depth. Um <laughs> Match five, Liar. then. <laughs> SWA Women's World Undisputed Championship match with the champion, Maya Iwatani, defeating Alpha Female to get her third successive title defense uh, with a moonsault in 11 minutes and seven seconds. And I'm going to go straight out and say it. This was head and shoulders above the Kairi Hojo match. I'm going to do you one better, sir. And if I'm wrong, please let me know. This was the best alpha female slash Jazzy Gabbert match that I think ever exists. I can't think of one that instantly jumps out. So I think you'd, I think it'd be hard pushed. Boom. Yeah. I thought this was the psychology was really good. And again, we talk all the time about Mayu being like one of the best sellers ever. So um, she did a great job getting alpha female over as the giant monster. Not that alpha female needed um, really much help. So it was again, a kind of a really simple story here, but Rob, we, well, we got to talk about it. That lariat, that Stan Hansen oh S lariat and Mayu gosh. taking the bump, <laughs> like just unbelievable in the finish. How about like Mayu hits the moonsault, alpha female kicks out, which we don't haven't seen too many people. I mean, it's happened. We don't see too many people kick out of the moonsault. So then Mayu wants to please every fan. So she goes to the, the she goes to the opposite corner and then the adjacent corner and then the adjacent corner. So no matter where you were sitting on the uh, you know in the arena, if you're like, you know what, I paid my money to see Mayu's moonsault. Well, you got four and you got one in each quarter. So <laughs> what a what a what a person of the people. She's the people's champion, not the rock. I think Mayu Itani's the people's champion. Oh, she definitely stored her finishes, <laughs> didn't she? Jesus. <laughs> but I think Mayu Itani was the perfect the perfect person for alpha female to finish uh sorry to face because mayu sells her way of selling just makes jazzy gabbert look phenomenal everything she hits no matter whether it's low impact or high impact mayu iwatani sells it like she's been hit by a boat so it just makes her look phenomenal that lariat that you're talking about where she mayu must take that right on top of her head it looked like a sickening bump. But those first couple of moments where Mayu is quite literally just bouncing off Jazzy Gabba, it was brilliant. It Again, we said last week we weren't expecting a five-star classic, but I think this was a far better, was a far better fit in terms of a Sorry. match than the Kyrie match. Yeah, story. Again, I get the thing I liked about the Kyrie match was that whole Kyrie, where's your passion? And it, it switched it to a different level where this was just a overall better match. And we were talking of Mayu, like who who gets the win here? Because Mayu needs to stay strong going into that match with Kyrie in two weeks. But you, you defeat Alpha Female two in a row. And she did. And I don't think she really lost much. 
She really didn't lose much in the, into the Kyrie match, and she didn't lose much here. Again, if you're grading this on scorecards, outside of really the four moonsaults that it took Alpha Female to put away, which is, I mean, that's just that's just such a credit. It's like my music. I got to hit my finisher four times in a row to put this challenger away. Other than that, this match was pretty well dominated by uh, Alpha Female. And of course, if you're going to be on the back end of selling, who better to put you over than one Mayu Iwatani? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Obviously, Full Moon Salt puts Jazzy Gabbert away, and um, Mayu then vacates the belt. And it's very like, oh, okay. <laughs> but she said that in order to best focus my energy and efforts on the IWGP Women's Championship, allow me to vacate the SWA World Championship. I know it may be selfish, but please understand and support my decision. So we are in November, Matt, and that's the second time the SWA belt has been vacated. It's the third in the last five champions. Um, uh, I mean... I- <laughs> I do understand where Mayu's coming from um, and my whole thing about Kyrie is pretty much now out the window because it seems that Mayu is 100% winning at Historic Crossover. Oh, well, look who's in the <laughs> camp, folks. The biggest oh. Mayu fan, he, we want to let him back on the boat. <laughs> this might be a poll. I might put this poll up on Twitter, you know. <laughs> Should we let Rob back on the Mayu train? <laughs> It was looks yeah. It was two of the same belt. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. There's either going to be another tournament to crown a new champion. It wouldn't surprise me if they get rid of the SWA belt entirely, because to my mind, the IWGP Women's Championship does the job of the SWA belt without the rule set. So why have both? I mean, especially we, I mean, we've just gone through 18 months of it where we struggled to find competitors to challenge for it because Japan weren't allowing anyone in. We are doing that now. We are able to do that. But what do you think? Do you think we crown a new champion or do you think we, uh, do you think we quietly retire it? Either or, but here was my thought as soon as it was over, I thought, okay, Let's, you know, I think if you're going to crown a new champion, you do it at Dream Queendom. You got your big show of the year, and then you put this person, you have them fly all over the place. You're like, they're going to be in and out of stardom, more, mostly out. Who do we put this on? And that we can contact Tony Khan for AEW. We can contact Billy Corgan from NWA. We can contact um, uh, Scott Demore from Impact saying, this person's available. We're sending them over to the States for six months to defend the belt. They can't lose it. And you need to give us a little bit of a plug on your show. To me, again, you look if you and again, I'm kind of dream booking after this match, Rob. I'm dream booking uh, or dream queendom in my head. So obviously we have Sherry and Julia up top. Obviously, I didn't know what was going to happen at the end of the co-main event, main event, but I had Kyrie versus Sai Kamatani as the co-main event. I think that's your biggest match for the white belt. I'm having Momo versus Utami for uh just uh, just a match so that takes out the you know starlight kid in a tag match or a six person so i'm thinking at this point once mayu hands over the belt i'm thinking the finals is starlight kid versus mina shirakawa you have mina go over because she's white hot and she speaks english and she's very has a very charismatic um american style of wrestling and entrance as well 
And she's been very adamant, especially after that New York show from last week, that she wants to come back to wrestle in the United States. So I think we, you would just pack her up for four or five, six months, whatever, bring her back when you need to, and just have her go all over American TV and the bigger American indies, you know, Game Changer Wrestling, et cetera, et cetera. And you can go that way. Or if they do decide to retire it, absolutely, I understand that as well. But to my thing, it was like, you need to put this belt on Mina. You need her to have, have her beat somebody that's an established star, like a starlight kid, in the finals, and then ship her off all over the place. However, you know, again, we're going to talk about it here in a little bit, what happened in that co-main event. You might be able to switch gears there. But that, that was my immediate thought right there is you put the belt on Mina, crown her at the big show. And, uh, and, you know, basically send her almost like on an excursion to, you know, one, get that belt over, get her over and get stardom over, over here in the United States and other parts of the world as well. Mm. It's, it, if it was, I, I do feel like, well, I say the belt is below Kyrie, my who's held it. It's almost like what they could do with Kyrie, isn't it? Um, but I, I don't sure. anticipate them uh, putting the belt on Kyrie. Um, in terms of the match, I gave it three and a half stars. What about you? Three and three-fourths, sir. So a little bit above you. Right. Well, let's move on to our trio of title matches that close the show. First up, match six, the Goddess of Stardom Championships match. Melty are the champions defeating Black Desire with Natsupoy getting the pin over Starlight Kid with the Fairy Strain in 15 minutes and 22 seconds. This was brilliant, Matt. This was excellent, but did you hear the rumored text that Rossi Ogawa got in this middle of this match from the owners of Bushi, Bushi Road? No. <laughs> what? Now, it's, it's just a rumor. So, as you know, Tam and Asapoy come out. Best entrance in wrestling, maybe ever. Uh, eat your heart <laughs> out, Undertaker at WrestleMania. And then it gets the music gets cut off, and they get jumped. So supposedly, again, it's just a rumor. Rossi Ogawa got a text message from the owners of Boosie Road saying, what are you doing? Shut this show down. We're selling stardom. So I don't know. I don't know. Take that with a grain of salt. That obviously didn't happen. I'm totally, I totally did the pop rap. <laughs> obviously, that didn't happen for my obvious love for uh, for for Tam Nakano and not that good a song. <laughs> yes, it's not yes. that good. Yeah, it's the entrance thing. They come out with like the oh half wedding dresses and the crowns and they're holding hands and they do like the turn as if they're like on like a turntable and they have the crowns and they come in and they're pointing at each other and they're all smiles and then the music gets shut off and then Momo and Starlight Kid just beat the bejesus out of these two. I loved it. <laughs> Honestly, it's the most face a wedding I have ever been. It's the best <laughs> wow. thing Riwaka has done in her tenure in the company. Not winning the future belt, Pardon me, it's shutting off that din. Honestly, their entrance is like someone filming a real-life version of Frozen. That is all that is. Anyway. They need to come out with, they need to come out with a snowman. Genuinely, <laughs> that's what it looks like. If they're the tag champs, which I'm assuming they're going to get, I'm dream booking uh, Dream Queen, and it's uh, the two of them versus defending the belts against Mike and Himika if they win the tournament. But if they come out with like a snowman and like a sled, I'm not going to lose my mind. <laughs> uh, yeah, this match. Anyway, this match was really, really good. Uh, I, it was nice how they, you know, they got the heat really early on the tag champs, obviously, for cutting off the song and almost kind of like, you know, shocking them. <laughs> I don't know if you notice, and there's gifts all over the place online, but when they shut off the song and they turn to like the table, 
uh, like where the announcer was, poor Waka looked terrified. She was like, I gotta see the look <laughs> on her face. She just looked like someone was gonna stab her. She looked so scared. <laughs> like, what is going on? God bless her. No, another reason why I love Waka. She even sold that like that two seconds she was in that frame. She sold it so well. She looked like she was like getting ready to get stabbed by Michael Myers. Like, it was something. <laughs> I but uh, God, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, after you, go on. But no, I really enjoyed the match. It was really great uh, tag teamwork uh, back and forth. I really liked how they split up, like Tam versus Momo. That's a singles match we haven't seen in a while. And then obviously Starlight Kid and Natsupoy, they know each other. So you went from like the high speed. Once things got kind of got settled back down and the, and the psychology ebbed and flowed, you kind of had like the high speed mini match with Natsupoy and Starlight Kid. And then the hard hitting uh, suplex fest between Momo and... Um, uh, Tam. So I thought that was really good. The double teams from both teams are really good. How about when uh, Tam, I love it when Tam and Natsupoy, they do that spot where they're both on the top rope and Tam hits the knee and the opponent takes the bump and then Natsupoy hits the uh, ferial gift. Yeah. I really enjoy how they do that. But how about how that move got broken up where I think it was Tora? Oh like, my God. It was, re- it was Rewaka. <laughs> and, and you know, I don't like that crate. I don't like that crate. But this was the best. <laughs> she just fastballed this thing at Natsupoy's head. And again, I don't like it when the ref sees when there's cheating happen. Well, the ref was in the perfect spot because he was all the way down looking at the shoulders. So he couldn't see it. And you just see poor Natsupoy. Now it's Rewaka's joining the group of let's beat up Natsupoy by flinging this crate that I absolutely hate right at her head. Like poor Natsupoy. Like it was the noisy. It made it sounded so lunchboxy. It was unreal, like proper hollow Tupperware. It was amazing. <laughs> it was proper loved it. It came from off screen as well, so you couldn't see Ruaka throw it. <laughs> it just heard it dunk off. That's the point. Head, and that's all she needs after the year she's had. That's all she needs. Having someone hoiking this Tupperware at her head. Um, but she was the star of this match. She, the, the focus was almost always on her. She was getting beaten down, beaten down, beaten down, just building that resilience. Um, and then she's the one that gets the victory. They're building her to be this main player. And I think it's a really, really, really good story they're telling. I love Black Desire's um, double shining wizard. And I love it even better when they both miss it. Um, and they just clash knees in the middle. Loved that. Um, but these two teams have great chemistry. Really, really, really good chemistry, especially when they break down into those, you know, sort of singles matches that you talked about with Momo and Tam and Natsupoy and Starlight Kid because they complement each other so well. Um, I think the fact that Oedetai didn't get involved ridiculous amount helped this match as well. Um, I gave it four and a quarter stars. Really, really good. Meltier are fast becoming one of the most solid tag teams um, in Japan. And that's saying a lot. Yeah, I agree. I had it four and a quarter star as well. I would have rated higher. Uh, I'll get to it in a second why I didn't go to four and a half. But I liked how Wado Tai, they would use the chair from time to time. And ultimately, it was the death nail as uh, they got hit. uh, Starlight Kid got hit with a super kick into the chair, the double slice spread, and then the uh, ferial gift for the win. I don't like the finish. Obviously, out of these four ladies, I love all all four. I'm big fans of all four of them. But as far as wrestling-wise goes, Momo's my favorite. And I don't like how they get rid of Momo in the match like they did. Like, they did the two super kick spots, which I thought were really cool to get uh, Starlight Kid and Momo out 
side of the ring because I hate it when they're like, well, we need to do a dive. What are we doing? I'll just have somebody do something stupid. It made sense. The psychology made sense. The double super kick is one of their big spots. But they hit their the dive, the hand-holding dive, which I absolutely love. And that's something that I need to talk to Andy Hedder about. We might steal that. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> probably not because last time I dived, I tore my foot up pretty bad. Anywho, so they hit Momo with that dive. And then they go back in the ring and they hit uh, Starlight Kid with all these double team moves and then the Ferio Gift. And like Momo was like out for like 60, 70 seconds just on the dive. And Momo was supposed to be like this big badass, this hard hitting person. And it was like she was kind of just lost for the last 70 or 80 seconds where she made no comeback at all or didn't try to come in the ring. Like even if she tried to maybe come up on the ropes and like Tam hit her with a super kick or like that jumping knee she did. And then Momo would like almost take the bump onto everybody on a way to tie to take everybody out. And then, uh, and then, uh, and then the finish happened. I thought that would have made a little bit more sense and probably would have bumped it up to four and a half stars, but that's just my little nitpick. Cause I'm just a huge fan of Momo. And I thought uh, that kind of made her look just a little bit too weak there. But again, four and a quarter stars, absolutely fantastic match. Let's move on then to the semi-main event match seven, the Wonder of Stardom Championship match. Saya Kamatani defeated Mina Shirakawa with the Phoenix Splash in 20 minutes and 35 seconds. Um, let's get this out of the way. Um, I am so, so frustrated that this match is going to be remembered for the finish because up until the finish, this was fantastic. The fact that Mina Shirakawa is progressing at the rate she is. I mean, look at this time last year, Tokyo Super Wars. She had a match with Tam and it was, let's call it divisive. Um, it's, she knocked herself a bit funny off her, um, I think it was, I think it was a Tam oh, powerbomb. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she couldn't get Tam up for the glorious driver Mina. It wasn't a terrible match, but it certainly wasn't her best. She comes here a year later, and it's like night and day. She has done wonders, pardon the pun, in the five-star Grand Prix. They've built her figure four leg lock to the point of it being a legitimate killer. It reminds me a little bit of what they did with Saya Kamatani heading into Budokan, where um, she kept winning matches with different variations of clutches. And then we got that fantastic near fall against Utami. It was exactly like that and we got a moment like that in this match but what i loved even more was with mina she came out brand new gear and immediately she feels like a main eventer but she's been very knee centric lately she's focused on the knee and it's always started with a drop kick to the knee and that's how the last couple of matches especially the multi-woman tags have started here she adapted all of that offense into something we haven't seen before. She amended it so it felt new and fresh and not just a rehash of everything she'd done before. Okay, she's thinking, she's building storyline. We had callbacks to their five-star match with that absolutely brutal implant DDT from the top rope. We had some fantastic submission holds. We had Sai Kamatani coming off the top rope and Mina hitting this drop kick to her knee in midair. It just looked beautiful. Mina looked like an absolute star through this match. And honestly, at the start of this, I felt like Mina was doing well but would never quite get there. She'd never quite get to the white belt. 
after this match and everything that transpired, you have the opportunity to capitalise on this when Mina returns and just fire her to the moon because she felt like an absolute superstar after this match, even including the injury. And we'll go into it now. Um, Saya goes for a Phoenix Splash, hits one. Um, she does sell the knee, um, so goes for a second one and under-rotates massively um, and lands on Mina's face, which I think knocks some of her teeth out, I think. Um, it's bruised her jaw and part of her oral cavity, which means that she's out for a length of time. She looked a mess, but even, and she's mouthful of blood, and you can tell that Saya Kamatani is shaken by the end of the match. You can tell that she knows she's done something wrong. We cut to the back, and the promo that Mina Shirakawa cuts, face covered in blood, crying as she says, why are the things I want so difficult to get? Oh my God, it was the best thing she could have done because, and I know it's not the same thing, but when Becky Lynch was going against Ronda Rousey. Yes, yes. Oh my God, yes. Go ahead, Rob. You literally are perfect. We're, we're in sync as always. Go ahead, sir. Yes. At Survivors, it just be, we were supposed to get Becky versus Ronda and we didn't because she ended up getting a broken nose from an errant punch from Nia Jax. And there's that shot, isn't there, of Becky Lynch on the stairs of the crowd, face caked in blood, and it was just, it was the spark that ignited the man character. And you could do something so similar here with Mina Shirakawa because her her level of storytelling and her investment and her emotion and passion, you have the ability and you have the potential here to build a rock-solid main eventer out of Mina Shirakawa. And if you'd have told me that I'd have been saying that 18 months ago, I'd have laughed in your face because maybe not as hard as I was on Yunagi, but I was really hard on Mina Shirakawa, especially when she debuted. I thought she was very, very little to be impressed by. But the progress she's made, especially in the last, what, eight months, has been un believable and if you haven't i actively encourage you to read the column that scotty wrestling has put onto the voice of wrestling um website the dream to inspire hope through wonder um it's all about mina shirakawa it is an absolutely incredible read um and I, i've gone through all of this without mentioning sai kamatani i thought sai kamatani's selling was instrumental to how well this match translated back yeah, um, as I was watching this match, and I, I, you know, I watched it live. I'm going through, and as this match is building and building and building, there's a lot of almost like fingerprints of like, did Bret Hart put this match together from both aspects? Just the way Mina was building up the figure four. You talked about how like she went for the low drop kick early on, and Saya jumped out of the way. She hit a hurricanrana. Uh, she hit a couple things kind of back and forth, and then she made Mina work to get to the leg and then anytime Mina would start going to the leg Saya would have some sort of counter for it so like the way Mina was building and going back to the, like I can't get it now let me go into something else and then if there's an opening I'll go to it was very like Bret Hart-esque and on the other side Saya Kamatani the way she's selling uh, lately and especially in this match is very much like underdog Bret Hart like 92 to like 96 
which again, that's a huge compliment that I biggest compliment I can give is like the fact that like, it felt like Bret Hart put this match together on both sides. And yeah, you talked about how Saya would, she got a little bit of momentum in this match and then she goes for her springboard, uh high cross body and Mina just drop kicks her knee right out of midair. I thought that was great. Mina even did the, uh, spot where she does the springboard uh, uh, back heel kick that we've seen low-key do, uh, you know, in Ring of Honor and TNA and whatnot. So that was completely new. Mina, uh, she was trying to go to the figure four. She couldn't get to it, so she went to the ankle lock. I'm like, that's new. That's awesome. Um, and we, you know, we talked about last week that, uh, or on the last show, that Sai Kamatani is taking uh, judo and jiu-jitsu lessons to counter the uh, figure four. And we saw that she did that with a reverse triangle. And I even jokingly said, well, if she wants to counter it, just watch any Ric Flair matches from the NWA. And you can see how to counter it. And there was a lot of inside cradles or pushing off the uh, pushing off the back that would happen to Ric Flair. I was like, oh, she used both. All right, great. But as this match was getting towards the end and just knowing how Saya builds her finishes, especially in these big matches like we've seen her have with Micah, Himika, Starlight Kid, Mariah, Ced- uh, Tam, et cetera, et cetera. I was like, if they hit this finishing sequence, like I know Saya can, this is going to finish in the my top three or four matches of the year period. This is going to join Tam and Julia. This is going to join Okada and Osprey from the G1 final, the FTR Briscoe matches, et cetera, et cetera. The way this, this was going, I absolutely love this match. And then of course the finish happened. And usually once I'm done writing my notes, I write down my star rating and 99% of the time I don't change it. It doesn't matter who I talk to, what I read. If I go back in the match, I usually try to let my first reaction be that reaction. As soon as I wrote down 4.75 stars, I felt terrible about it because of how great they were. And then I grabbed my phone and I texted you and I knew that you weren't watching it. And I said, once we, once you watch this match, you need to text me back because we need to talk about it. And then we, we never did up until now. So I'm, ex- I'm, I'm excited to hear what you think about this match, but I'm spot on with you. This match was absolutely fantastic. Again, I understand the finish. I thought when Saya missed the first Phoenix splash. She goes to the top rope and she starts punching on her knee. And there's an old school thing that a lot of old school veterans would tell me. If you mess up a spot, you don't go back to it. Times have changed over the last, you know, 5, 10, 15 years. So she goes back to the spot. It's a big match. It's the cool, one of the coolest looking moves in all of stardom. But Sai Kamatani, who's been wrestling, what, three, three and a half years, Rob? Does a veteran thing where she misses the move? goes back to it, but as she's climbing the rope, she starts slapping on her knee that Mina worked on. So I'm sitting there thinking, even though she messed that up, in my opinion, if she hits this Phoenix Splash on the second attempt, it's going to add to it because it's putting over Mina's figure four. The reason why she missed it is because of the work on the knee. Obviously, she comes down, almost double stomps poor Mina's face. She goes for the cover. Mina kicks out like at 2.99. I don't know if Saya told her to or she didn't know where she was. The referee smartly sees how bad Mina is, calls for the bell, and the crowd just goes silent because they don't know what to react. And I felt terrible that I couldn't give this match five stars because this match was an absolute masterpiece. I watched this match twice back since then. And you know how busy a person I am. So for me to go back and watch a match tw- like three times in a 24-hour period, uh, just goes to show you how much I love this. And you're, you're at, Rob, you're absolutely right. This match is unfortunately going to be remembered for the finish. And I understand why. However, if you're somebody that's just breaking into pro wrestling or want to break into pro wrestling or want to learn more about the ebbs and flows of psychology and selling – you need to go and watch this match because this match up until the unfortunate finish 
and accidents happen was an absolute masterpiece from these two wrestlers i absolutely love this match again the ebbs and flows of just the building up of the figure four and then when saya couldn't get it she would go to something else or excuse me mina couldn't get it she would go to something else and saya is selling when she finally locked in the figure four you see saya's faces and panic and pain all at the same time almost sprinkling up a little bit of you know ricky morton ricky steamboat and mayu into saya's facial expressions and she was right where she when she was fighting for the rope rob you, she was right by where all the cameras were and it was the perfect timing the perfect selling the perfect facial and even mina like moved her body out of the way to almost block it i thought that was such a good falsy and then she gets to the point where uh, mina's trying to put her away and she can't put away with the figure four what put her away last time the glorious Mina driver. She goes for it. Saya gets out. She hits the Hurricanrana. She hits the, um, she hits, uh, or and then she hits the Star Crusher. Now, about a week or so ago, a week or two ago, she beat Waka with the Star Crusher. She hits the Star Crusher. What does Mina do? She kicks out at one. This was your tag partner back in New York. You kicked out of this move at one. Mina tries to fire up, power up, and then Saya has to fire up because she's on one leg. She hits the spin kick. She hits a brutal pump kick. Hits the Star Crusher again, and I'm like, this finish is just going to be great. And then the finish happens. But again, this match was absolutely fantastic. I absolutely love this match. Whether you can say whatever you want about the finish, I understand the finish is the finish. I get it in a big match like that. I understand why some people are souring on it. But don't let that take away what is an absolutely phenomenal performance. In my opinion, is the most improved wrestler of the year in all of wrestling. Mina Shirakawa. Versus what is my wrestler of the year in Saya Kamatani. With all due respect and apologies to the Will Ospreay fans, to the Shiri fans, to the Seth Rollins fans, to the Roman Reigns fans, et cetera, et cetera. To me, Saya Kamatani is the wrestler of the year. And I know she feels terrible about the ending of this match. But this match in general is a reason why she is the best wrestler in the year 2022. It's hard to disagree with anything you've just said, to be perfectly honest. Matt. I gave it four and a quarter. It was It was... I wanted to give it four and a half. I really, really did. And then the finish happened, like you say, and I wish it didn't happen, if I'm perfectly honest, but that's just, unfortunately, the way the, that's the lay of the land. I think you could have told a story if she'd have done the first one, which wasn't pretty, but you could have said, well, that was the damage that Mina did to the knee. That's a story you could have told. I think the second one was unnecessary, and obviously, unfortunately, it's the second one that's caused the damage. Um, now, I know you wanted to say something in regard to the reaction on social media towards Siamat. Yeah, and if, if I'm going to kind of just say say a few things, and if there's something you want to add, uh, you know, or you want to cut me off, by all Rob, by all means, Rob, please do. I try to keep away. Or one of the reasons why I keep I try to keep so positive is I try to keep away of anything negative. Uh, it was about a few hours after this match happened. I had uh, some people message me on on social media and basically tell me, you know, Sai Kamatani's kind of taking a beating on Twitter, a lot of cyberbullying. And I even had somebody tell me that it was very reminiscent to uh, what happened uh, two years ago. Um, obviously, I, we're not going to get into it because I, I, I don't. But obviously, the incident that when I hear Stardom Wrestler being cyberbullied and, and talk about an incident that happened two years ago, that's literally the worst possible thing that can happen. So uh, I'm kind of just, you know, going to say this. I appreciate how everybody is passionate about stardom and Cosmic Angels and Mina Shirakawa. I get that. However, stop. Leave Sai Kamatani alone. Accidents happen. 
Not only do accidents happen in pro wrestling, they happen in pro sports. They happen in real life all the time. Accidents happen. I can almost guarantee, even though Mina Shirakawa is in more physical pain than Saya Kamatani, that Saya feels worse than Mina does from an emotional uh, and mental standpoint. Saya Kamatani, you know, we've all been following her over the last two or three years, seems like the sweetest, nicest, most generous person. And for people to be going and saying, again, I haven't seen it. The fact that one person messaged me and told me that Saya Kamatani is getting cyberbullied and it reminds them of what happened two years ago, that's one too many. We have to absolutely stop that. Stop. Again, me and Rob, we have a lot of goals and mission statements we do with this podcast. And the number one thing is we want to help move the stardom brand forward. We want to add more shine on what is a fantastic promotion. And by people cutting down what is, in my opinion, the best wrestler of the best company for this year on an accident that happened, you just need to, you need to stop. And here's something else. If you're a Mina Shirakawa fan and you're attacking Sayakamitani, you don't need to be attacking. You should be thanking her. Because in my opinion, I have watched every Stardom match this year. I've noted it. I've written notes on it. Rob obviously has his book that I shamelessly plug all the time. He watched and wrote a book on every Mina match from last year. I'm going to say on record, the two best matches I've ever seen Mina have, and she's been having some bangers here the last eight months, is this match here that we're talking about and her five-star match with Saya Kamatani. So if you're a Mina Shirakawa fan and you feel the need to tweet at Saya Kamatani, why don't you thank her? Thank her for giving your 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 wrestler, your one of your favorite wrestlers, Mina Shirakawa, the two best matches she's ever had. Because now I know Mina yesterday um, when I came home from work, I noticed she puts in some, something out on Twitter saying to leave, you know, back off Saya Kamatani. It wasn't her fault. It was just basically what I said. So please, guys, stop the hate. You know, I, at the end of every podcast, I always say we're all in this together. And what I generally mean by that is we're all in life together. Life is not easy. Life is tough. Life, you never know what's going to happen from minute to minute in life. We don't need this hate. If anything, like I said, let's all get behind Saya Kamatani because after this match was over, she cut a promo where in two weeks, she has the biggest match of her career. And this is only a match that's going to help propel stardom into a bigger light. So I think we all need to rally behind Saya. We all need to wish Mina well. We all need to be better and just move on with it. Yeah, the only thing I'm going to add is if Mina has said something about it, if Mina's said, you know what, accidents happened, then that should be more than enough for people on Twitter. Um, yeah, post-match, um, Saikabatani called out Kyrie, the match that should have happened at Stardom X Stardom, um, and Kyrie has accepted Saya's call-out. Um, she's accepted it for Gold Rush in Osaka on the 19th of November, which means, Matt, on back-to-back nights, we are getting Kyrie versus Sayakamatani for the white belt, and then Mayu versus Kyrie for the IWGP Women's Championship. That is going to be a very exciting two days, isn't it? Yeah, and then we also have the... Uh, what I'm assuming is going to be, we'll talk about here, the main event of that show on the 19th. And then over here in the States, on another pay-per-view, we're getting... Uh, Tony Storm, former Red Belt champion, versus Jamie Hayter, former Goddess of Stardom champion. So, needless to say, I won't be sleeping much that that week of the nineteenth of the twentieth. <laughs> um, let's move on. I apologize, by the way, if in the background you can hear what sounds like cannon fire. Um, it's as I've already said, it's um, bonfire night here in the UK, which is where we celebrate a failed bomb attack on the Houses of Parliament, um, which is. 
mental when you think about it but there we are so if you can hear is the fireworks that are going off which is uh it's not a good time for my cats who bless them are both hiding shaking under the bed um match eight then and our main event of the evening was the world of stardom championship match with Suri the champion defeating micah with the vermilion world in 25 minutes and 56 seconds what can i say about this match matt it was everything I wanted it to be. Micah feels like a red belt champion in waiting. She looked fantastic in this match. And I loved the story between the two of them. They were both brought into DDM at the same time. They were friends. They're still friends. But here, they know each other so, so well. And initially, those opening, what, 10 minutes were just those two reversing moves of each other because they're so familiar with each other's arsenal and there's one there's one moment where i think suri is running the ropes and she goes to leapfrog and mike has anticipated it and hits her with a spinning power slam and i know it's a really basic move but it really did illustrate that these two are so familiar with each other that they can literally anticipate what is going to happen next and it just, it was brilliant. And then we go into Micah's ridiculously hard clubbing clotheslines. We talk about the back body drop on the bloody apron. Uh, not on the apron, sorry, on the ramp. We talk about the Mishinoku drivers, which didn't just have a little bit of stank attached to him, had whole swathes of stank smothered all over it. They were hit with some bloody power. And honestly... This is my favourite Suri defence in a long, long time. I thought these two created fantastic chemistry together and put on an absolutely stellar match, Matt. Yeah, I was shocked that this match was good. (laughs) 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 This was great. Uh, This this was absolutely great. And I liked how in the beginning they were just doing like some chain wrestling, some some, submission wrestling back and forth. Obviously, Shiri would kind of have the advantage there with the submission wrestling, but Micah, you know, uh, you know, who had, does have that judo background really, you know, held her own. But yeah, that was a really cool spot where Sherry was going for the, the leapfrog and Micah's like, Nope, no, you don't. I got you. Um, and not only that, we saw two new moves from Micah. We had one where it was like a wrist clutch, almost like Toshiaki Kawada style, like Ganoske bomb. And I was like, Ooh, that was really cool. But I think maybe she should, if she's going to add that in her arsenal, when she debuts, it's got to be on like a big win. Very much like when Shuri debuted the Vermilion World, it was against Utami to, to win the Red Belt. But I thought that that was like brutal. Um, but it, not only that, but we saw a kick out of the, uh, the Mijinoku driver. And then once Shuri kicked out, Micah goes for the uh, spinning version of the Mijinoku driver. And then Shuri does a good job kind of getting out of it and then going back to her submissions to try to isolate Micah. But I thought that was really, really good. And then the uh, stiff, brutal exchanges. Like this match just had levels. Like you were. We had like the feeling out process with the ground submission in the beginning. We had some strikes and then they would go to the big holds and then go back to the strikes. And then they really went heavy on the strikes towards the end. Eventually, Shuri hits the uh, the headbutt from behind, way safer than the one she hit on on Nanai Takahashi that I was like, ooh, that might have been a little bit too stiff. And then she uh, drills Micah with the Vermilion World. Yeah, this was an absolute perfect title defense. And um, I don't think anybody thought that Micah would win here, but when she hit that Mijinoku driver, the way that like Shuri wasn't looking at the ref and the way the ref was coming down, I thought for a split second that maybe they might be doing a little swerve here. Um, they did a really good job of kind of keeping me on the edge of my seat, but this was an absolute 
beautiful and brutal match all at the same time. And I had it at uh, four and a half stars and just a great way to end what was an absolutely fantastic pay-per-view. Yeah, I gave it four and a half as well. I thought, I do think it's a matter of time. It's a matter of when and not if for Micah and this red belt because she does have that aura that we talk about so often and she does feel like the biggest of big deals. Um, It's one of my, let's call it my predictions um, for 2023, one of my early predictions that Micah will get that red belt. I think... I think Ooh. Micah could be the one to unseat Julia. Wow. Wow. There we go, folks. Set it in stone. I mean, zero dollars bet. <laughs> zero dollars betted. Um, but I genuinely do think that that could be the case. Again, it's another fantastic um, title defense to add to Suri's unbelievable canon when you consider the matches that she's had. Momo Watanabe, Mayu, Julia. She's had some fantastic ones. Tam, of course, um, at Midsummer Champion. She's had some astonishing title defenses. But this this ranks right up there. And Micah, every time she gets put in that spotlight, just like I said with Himika at the start of the show, she continues to impress and she gets better every single time if you compare this to her match with her matches i should say with utami the one at the 10th anniversary show was good the one at tokyo super wars was good slightly better this better than both of them by far i gave it four and a half stars fantastic match speaking of utami Uh, i mean what better (laughs) way what better way to end the year than with the match that put stardom on the map last year? Suri on some sort of vendetta to avenge every single loss she suffered in the five-star this year calls out Yutami Hayashista, her nemesis, um, to basically lay the challenge down for the red belt. Again, it was it was accepted by Yutami, and it's the main event of gold rush which means that the one-two punch at the top of the card for gold rush is going to be utami versus suri round three and kairi versus saya kamatani i mean are we being spoiled matt or are we being spoiled absolutely and then the next day we have Kyrie versus mayu so it's like jeepers creepers you know we talked a few weeks ago like are they putting on too many pay-per-views and we're like, yeah, but when they were getting this quality, like, who are we to complain? Like, this is just absolutely unbelievable. And I'll say this because obviously I want Julia to be, uh, to complete the story at the end of the year. So I want her to beat Sherry for the belt. I don't want to see you, Tommy, lose like at all. So I've never rooted for a time limit draw as, as much as I will be rooting, <laughs> rooting sitting on my couch. It will probably be five in the morning on the 19th of November. <laughs> a, a little subtle little story beat as well, that I'm sure is it seems too much of a coincidence, but Suri couldn't currently sit at nine title defenses with the world of stardom championship. Um, she needs one more to go joint second with Io Shirai at 10. She is currently joint third at nine. Who is she joint third with? Utami. So she has got to beat Utami to go clear of Utami. I think that's a really nice story beat to have as well, to go clear in third. I I do think that Suri comes out victorious. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I just... I, <laughs> They've had the time limit draw 
Um, they've had the draw at Tokyo Dream. Um, they then had the match that went to the draw in uh, the five-star that year. Then Shuri won at Dream Queendom. Then Utami won in the five-star this year. I just, I think... I think Suri wins. I think Suri wins, puts a bow on what has been a phenomenal feud and a phenomenal set of matches between the two. And we move on to what will be an outstanding match to top off the Dream Queendom show in Suri uh, versus Juliet. I mean, Suri and Juliet is a match that's layered in story. And much as I love Utami, Utami does not have that with Juliet. So you want want that main event, you want that main event to sell out, you want that main event to shift tickets, I'd say Suri versus Julia is your match. I think Utami has something big on that card. What it is, I don't know. Maybe she goes for the white belt, I don't know, though I'd love it to be Hazuki going against Saya. Um, But I see Utami doing something big there. I'm going to ask you a question then, Matt. Obviously, we've got another podcast in between and we'll do our, uh, our... predictions once we've got a full card for the gold rush show Kyrie versus sire who wins sire yeah i'm the same yeah i think i think uh, i know a lot of people are like there's no way Kyrie takes two losses in a row one it's not going to hurt her um and two it's like look who she's putting over sal kamatani who she's basically since she came back at the press conference want said she wanted to wrestle Saya for the white belt, and then, it's, you know, it's Mayu. I mean, come on. I mean, it, it's Mayu. So it doesn't hurt her at all. And if anything, it's going to give a boost to both Mayu and uh, Saya Kamatani. But I was I was in the, the, the camp that uh, Hazuki was going to be the one to take the white belt off um, Saya Kamatani sometime in 23. But obviously, we can go with the, uh, based on that promo, Mina Shirakawa. But again, another story for another time. But I think that... Uh, Kyrie is eating two falls on the 19th and the 20th. It is interesting that both Sayakamatani and Suri won their belts at last year's Dream Queendom and could both potentially lose those belts at Dream Queendom, but uh, we'll see anyway. Um, that brings us to the end of our review. A really solid show that I think over-delivered um, in many ways. I just want to say a thank you again to Karen Pearson, who has put all the translations on her uh, her review on the post-wrestling site. And again, go and check out Sky Wrestling's uh, Mina Shirakawa article on the Voice of Wrestling site, The Dream to Inspire Hope Through Wonder. It's a really, really, really good read. And I actively encourage you to go and check that out. But in the meantime, we will be back next Friday talking the next two days of the Tag League, the Uh, shows from the 5th and the 6th of November we'll be talking about um, in the meantime subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts if you'd like to leave us a 5 star review and a comment on Apple Podcasts it does us a huge favour and we massively appreciate it you can also go and subscribe to our Patreon patreon.com forward slash the Stardomcast for lots of juicy little stardom extras uh you can find us on social media at the stardomcast twitter facebook youtube instagram the whole lot um you can talk to me on twitter at at real rob goodwin you can check out the website www.thestardomcast.weebly.com uh matt where can they find you and sign us off my friend but before you do just quickly 
Colin, I hope you've really enjoyed the intro to this podcast because it is going to be a one and done, I'm afraid. <laughs> but I thought I'd put it on just for you, my friend. Anyway, Matt, please continue. Rob is one of the people. What a what a gentleman. What a gentleman. Um, if you guys need to get a hold of me, questions, comments, anything I can do to help out, you can get me on Twitter and or the Instagram at Matt Turner OF. If social media isn't your thing, and I completely understand, I do have an email, thestardomcast22 at gmail.com. And again, anything that I can do to help out or any questions, please let me know. Because like I always say, this isn't just my podcast. It's our podcast because we're all in this together and everybody's different. Everybody's special. 